We're beginning today a series of messages on Christian beliefs. These will run through probably the end of the year if we do them one at a time because in the book that the leadership group has been using and that you will be using in your small groups, there are 20 Christian beliefs, 20 essential beliefs of the Christian church. The books are $10, and when you sign up for a group, we also encourage you to get a book. We encourage your participation. It's important that as Christians, we know what we believe. Personal faith, you see, is not based upon how you were brought up, your traditions, or what anyone else believes. Personal faith is essential that each of us know what we believe so that we won't be deceived by incorrect teaching and also so that we can tell others what we believe. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of incorrect teaching floating around in the world today. Some of it in Christian churches, but a lot of it from the outside, and we are bombarded with it every day through the media and all, all sorts of ways. So the Bible is essential for that wisdom, the understanding and the knowledge of God, Jesus Christ, his Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is unlike any other book. It's important that we know why we believe what we believe. You see, it's not enough to simply know something. We must know the source of our belief. Just recently had the chance to share my personal testimony with someone, and talking about the Bible, this person said, well, I, I don't believe that the Bible is true. And I was tempted to say, well, what is that belief based on? But I didn't. I let it go because I wanted to cover some other things. But that's a sense of, you know, what do you believe? Well, why do you believe it? Is it something you learned in school? Is it something someone else told you? Is it based on your own speculation, your own uh, intuition? No, no, no. What we believe as Christians is based on what God has said through this book, his holy Bible. This is God's word to us. And so it is important as Christians that our belief is based upon the eternal, unchanging word of God and thus living the life that God tells us to live in his word. It is important that we believe what we know. Now, this is different from knowing what you believe. <laughs> knowing is intellectual. Believing is spiritual. In the world, we say seeing is believing, right? But when the things of the spirit, believing is seeing. So we need to know, believe what we know. Believing is what we know means that we have grasped it in our minds and it has converted it into our hearts. And finally, we must act upon what we know. It's simply not enough to believe. Jesus wrote, 
that faith, uh, I'm sorry, James wrote that faith, that is belief, without works is dead. So we must act according to what we believe. Not just once in a while, but in all occasions. Jesus did have some things to say about this. On one occasion when his disciples came back and they were excited because they had seen the power of God working in their lives, Jesus said to them, yes, that's good, but rather blessed are they who hear the word and keep it. And another time he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do the things, do not do the things that I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you who he is like. He is like a man who built a house, who dug deep and put the foundation on a rock. And when the floods rose, the stream that beat vehemently against that house could not overtake it because it was founded on the rock. This is our rock. Christ is our rock. And his word is revealed to us through the word of God. In the book that we're going to be studying, what is the Bible is the very first belief. You see, if you don't believe in the Bible, well, you might as well not be here. If you don't believe in it completely, you might as well not be here because you're following something that's not totally accurate, whatever it might be. And it's not based upon, as I said before, what you've been taught, what you learned in school, what other people have told you. It is based upon what God has told you in his word. We're going to look at the scriptures in four different ways, four different characteristics of the scriptures. And when I say scriptures, I'm talking about the word of God. You know that. The scriptures are the writings. We're going to look at it from four areas. The authority of Scripture, the clarity, the necessity, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, writes that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture. Now, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, the Scripture that Paul knew was the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been formed yet. That was several hundred years down the road. But Paul said, everything that's been written by God is by his inspiration. That is, holy men of old, as the Bible says, were, were moved by the Spirit of God to write things down. God didn't dictate these things to them, as you might dictate a letter to a secretary. No, no. He gave them inspiration. In the same way that I might be inspired to write a lovely poem, or someone else might be inspired to paint a beautiful picture. It's inspiration. It comes from somewhere outside of us. And so the Bible was inspired by God. He breathed. Inspiration is breath. In the same way that God breathed into that pile of dust at the beginning and man became a living soul. So God breathed his word to us. It's inspiration and it's profitable. It has a value. It's good for you. It's profitable. 
It's good for doctrine. That is what we believe. That's what we're talking about. It's good for reproof. It tells us when we've gotten off track a little bit and pulls us back. It's good for correction and instruction. Think of it this way. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful one way or another, showing us the truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live as God's way, and so that, as Paul writes in the very next verse, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped, complete. The word in the Greek there has the notion of being completely furnished. The room is complete when it's furnished well. So you are furnished well when you have received God's word. I want to tell you that I've shared before, when I was, well, I was 40 when I accepted Christ as my Savior and changed, changed from my way of doing things to his way of doing things. It was, it's a process. I didn't immediately do all of the things his way. I'm still learning to do all of the things his way, but it's getting better. But when I received Christ, I wanted to know about this God and his son Jesus, and so I began to read the Bible. Now, I had read parts of the Bible before in my earlier days. I usually got bogged. I, used, I made the mistake of reading the book, Bible like any other book. You know, I started at the beginning and uh, was going to work my way through it. And Genesis was very exciting because it had really neat stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of that stuff. And Exodus was exciting. God's coming down to Moses and saying, let my people go. Uh, but then Leviticus came along. Yeah. I'll try it some other time. But having Christ in my heart gave me a new perspective on the whole world. And one of the things that helped me immensely in my early walk with Christ was someone gave me a little set of cards. I think there were 12 cards, one for every month. And on every card were a set of scriptures so that one could read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one year in small doses, generally two or three chapters at a time. I liked that because it gave me a discipline, something that I, it was a, like, a, you know, easy to deal with. I read the Bible through, following the cards, which didn't start with Genesis and end with Revelation, but mixed things up, Old Testament, New Testament, not exactly a chronological order of things, but nonetheless, much easier to take. And then I began to try other things. I read the Proverbs for several, maybe a year, one chapter a day. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Isn't that cool? You can read a chapter a day. And on the days that are 31 months, you've got the 31st chapter. I began to read the Psalms, five Psalms a day. There's 150 Psalms, five Psalms a day for 30 days. You can read the Psalms in a year 12 times. Uh, so things like that began. And so God began to pour into me uh, a, not only a desire for his word, but an understanding of his word from Genesis to Revelation. And so I began to see that the Bible is unique. It's more than just a true book. It's the truth, because God is truth, and it's his word. 
And so there aren't any errors in it. There are, there are no lies in it. Some people say, well, the Bible is full of contradictions. Well, there's no place in the Bible. I mean, to me, a contradiction would be saying one thing one time and something else another time, contradicting the first. There's no place in the Bible where it says that Jesus isn't Lord. There's no place in the Bible that, doesn't, that says that God isn't eternal. Now, there are differences in, this, in the scriptures, certainly, but that's because it's written by people. You take an accident or an event, talk to 12 different people, and they'll give you probably 12 different versions of the same story. That's why I think in Matthew there's the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, but those, the second feeding doesn't appear in the other Gospels. Why? Maybe they weren't there. Maybe they didn't. Maybe God didn't. He only told Matthew to write it twice. That's why Jesus cleared the temple at the beginning of John's Gospel, but at the end of another Gospel. He still cleared the temple. It's still there. It's not a contradiction, just a difference of opinion. You see, because God's Word is living. The Hebrew writer wrote that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Imagine that, getting down into the very heart of our being, where soul and spirit, where joints and marrow connect. Marrow is the source of our blood supply. God gets even down into the very source of our life with his word. It becomes a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's how deep God's word goes into us. And then he says, and this is a very sobering verse, and there is no, no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Think you're getting away with something? Mm -mm. Stop thinking that way. Don't even try it. He knows. He knows your very thoughts. In, in Florida, when we do the uh, Good News Clubs, I was teaching one of the Bible stories, and I made the statement that God knows our thoughts. And one little kid said, he knows our thoughts? I don't believe that. I said, well, he does. And so I came back the next week, and I said, okay, here's a couple of places where God says, I know your thoughts. <laughs> you know, I, just because you're just thinking it in, in yourself doesn't mean he's not aware of it. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intents. Not just our actions, but what we intend to do or not to do. That's how deep his word cuts. It is sobering, to say the least. And so, his word has authority that no other book has. It has his authority because it's his word. The scripture is clear. There's a clarity of scripture. I chose an Old Testament passage for this. It's Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, which says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This is a wonderful psalm. If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to read it from beginning to end. 
It is a delightful psalm that talks about the, 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 the magnificence of God's word to us. He says there, there is much reward in keeping his commandments. They're better than fine gold, sweeter than honey. And in keeping them, there is much reward. They're perfect. Look at those, look at those nouns. They're perfect. They're sure. They're, they're right. They're pure. No adulteration here. Pure. This is from the Old Testament. It says the law of the Lord. Jesus said that he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. That is Christ, through his perfect life, kept and met the requirements of the law. And through him, ushered in our grace and our truth through Jesus. There are many statements in the Bible upon which the blessings of the Lord are contingent upon our trust and obedience. Obedience and trust lead to rejoicing. For the what Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Do you, you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Do you have peace in your heart today? Are you filled with the joy of the Lord? That's your strength. That's what his word says. Righteousness, peace, and joy. If you're lacking those, Go before him and ask him, what's missing? What are you missing in his word that keeps you from experiencing his peace and his joy? The things of God are revealed to us. They are spiritual things. They're not intellectual things. We said that before. So that Paul writes in, second, in the Corinthians that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Well, most people think they're foolishness. And we cannot, he says, they cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. The knowledge of the Lord, Lord, Word of God goes beyond our intellectual comprehension. Again, believing is seeing, but now with Christ seeing is believing is seeing. It works the other way around. If we don't understand something in Scripture, the problem isn't with the Scriptures. The problem is with us. We should prayerfully read the Bible, asking the Lord to reveal the truth of his words to us. There's also a necessity for God's word. For after all, if we didn't have this, would we know God? We wouldn't. So there's a necessity. The necessity also is that we would have God's plan for our lives revealed to us. How many of you came to know, uh, to surrender your lives to Christ in and of your own accord? How many of you? There are a few. I, I know of one man in particular who uh, found a tract on the, on, the, on the street, on the sidewalk, read it, and received Christ as his Savior. But most of us will testify that somebody told us about Jesus, told us the good news. 
proclaimed the good news to us. And so how did they get to know it? Somebody told them. Somebody told them, and so on and so forth. I came to Christ because one man was kind enough to draw me aside and begin to share the truth of God's word, the gospel, to me. And I wasn't, uh, well, I shouldn't say I wasn't an easy case. I probably wasn't the easiest one he ever had, but I suspect I was far from the most difficult. I got saved in a church that baptized people uh, by immersion. Immediately upon your saying, I, I, I accept the Lord Jesus. And I, when I first started going there, I remember thinking, they'll never get me in there. But God, knows the, God knew the thoughts and intents of my heart. <laughs> and two months later, like a lamb to the slaughter, in I went to that pool. <laughs> so God is good. God is good. He had put his fingerprint on me, and it was not going to be scrubbed off. We need someone to tell us the good news of God's salvation plan. And having received it, then we need to tell it to others. We need to share what we believe. And sharing is all that is required of us. We water and plant and water, but God gives the increase. I was not disheartened when this person said, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I think I planted a seed. It'll be up to God. It'll be up to others to water. It'll be up to God to give the increase. The word of God says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, that doesn't mean that the full responsibility for sharing falls on the preacher. Because the word there simply means to proclaim. And we are all capable of proclaiming the gospel to other people. Because, as Paul says a few verses later, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So our Christian life not only starts with the hearing of the word of God, but we also need to live through the Bible. It is necessary that we get this into our beings to live a solid Christian life. Jesus set the very good example for us, the best example, when he, after 40 years of being without food or water, was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And every temptation that Satan brought forth to him was set aside by Jesus, rebuked by Jesus, with the word of God. Again, the Old Testament. The devil came and said, you must be hungry after 40 days without food or water. If you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And surely Jesus could have done that. But what did he say? It's written, man should not live by bread alone. But what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
These are the words that have proceeded out of the mouth of God. Learn them. Incorporate them into your life so that when temptations come to you, temptations come to me, you can say, devil, self, it is written. And whatever the truth of his word is. And finally, the Bible is sufficient. The Bible contains all of the words of God that we need to become a Christian, to live as a Christian, and to grow as a Christian. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, it's not that we, in and of ourselves, are sufficient to think of anything as being from ourselves. Hmm. But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Sufficiency of Scripture means that there is enough in God's Word to equip us for every good work. Sufficiency means that we should always turn to the Bible for answers to our questions, and we should be content with what we find there. That's probably the hardest part. We can find the answers, but are we willing to accept what God has said? If we don't find a specific answer to a specific question, we are not free to add to the commands of Scripture what we have found to be pragmatically correct. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't find a specific answer, don't make one up because it fits what you want. No, no, can't do that. Don't place other teachings or other forms of guidance on a par with the Bible. When my first wife was going through a lot of her difficulties, there were many people who, not, many people who said, you should divorce. You know, you're putting up with an awful lot. You should divorce. But you know, divorce was not an option. I don't see divorce in the Bible. As a matter of fact, God says in Malachi, he hates divorce. And he gives a reason why. He wants godly offspring. And in the New Testament, when the Pharisees challenged Jesus on it, he said the only reason Moses allowed you guys to have a writ of divorce was because of the hardness of your hearts. There's only one legitimate excuse for divorce, and that is unfaithfulness. Don't talk to me about irreconcilable differences. With God, there are no irreconcilable differences. He is a God of reconciliation. He is a God of restoration. He's not a God of division, but a God of unity and togetherness. And there are many other examples that I could give. But let me just say, let, it, let me rest at that. You have a problem with something? Check the Word. If you don't find it in the Word, well, keep looking. It's in there. I think about, you know, people say, well, I don't see smoking in the Bible. Well, golly, maybe they didn't smoke back then. That was, a, that was something the devil introduced a few hundred years ago. But it does say that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're not to defile the temple. And we know that smoking is dangerous, causes death, causes all kinds of illness and disease. Huh? Is that from God? Of course not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a subject for a whole other message. So we have the Bible as our authority. Our, it's our clarity. It's necessity and its sufficiency.
In, in conclusion, Smith Wigglesworth, in one of his devotionals, wrote this, and I just love this. It's, it's, it's just such a soaring word. He says, never compare the Bible with other books. Never think or say that the Bible contains the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is supernatural in its origin. It is eternal in its duration. It is inexpressible in its value. It is infinite in its scope. It is regenerative in its power. It is infallible in its authority. It is universal in interest and personal in application, inspired in totality. Read it through. Write it down. Work it out. And then pass it on.